Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Oh, by the way, thank you for this. I know of your fondness for antiques. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Message, Spock? None that I'm conscious of. Except, of course, happy birthday. Surely the best of times. Well, here we are with the third book club episode, and this one's going to be a little different. We're not covering a traditional book this time. We're doing our first comic feature for a book club episode. I'm Dan Gunther, and joining me as always is Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how's it going? I'm so excited to be here. I'm always excited to be here, but I'm just excited this is our first comic here on the show. So I'm all, and, and by the way, spoiler alert, I like this one. There you go. Ooh. Okay, spoiler alert, I did too. Uh, But you know what? I think this is a good opportunity to bring another voice onto the show. Uh, Someone we haven't talked to in a while, but I'm really excited for this. Joining us is Brandon Shemutala. Brandon, how are you doing? From hell's heart, I stab at thee. Well, that's an intense, uh, intense way uh, to to greet us, and I, I have to admit, I'm I'm a little scared now. Uh, this is gonna be a long show. When you see my library that I got behind me here, that's gonna scare the pants off of you. Oh wow! Is it? Would you say this library is the ultimate weapon? Um, it's uh, well, somebody might call it the Doomsday Machine. <laughs> Excellent. Well, in this episode, we are covering a one-shot comic from IDW, Star Trek hell's mirror and this is a comic featuring the one and only actually not the one and only a mirror universe version of khan nunian singh and uh, so this is kind of postulating what it would have happened had he been awoken in the mirror universe and what happened over there as opposed to what we see in space seed and star trek to the wrath of khan etc etc so uh first of all I should give everyone a warning. We will be spoiling this comic, so if you haven't read it, I suggest going and picking it up. Uh, As we said earlier, it's worth it. It's good. We liked it. So rest assured, that will not be a wasted purchase. Uh, So going around the room, first of all, uh, Brandon, what were your initial thoughts? How, How Did you enjoy this comic? I did. I thought it was really cool and really interesting to see uh, Khan from the mirror perspective. And, you know, I was wondering going into this because, um, you know, generally people, when they think mirror universe, they're just like, everybody's evil, right? And Khan is like the most evil guy in Star Trek next to Dakot, of course. But um, it's like, how are they going to portray him? How are they going to do this? Because, you know, at a, at a quick brush stroke, the mirror universe is everybody's evil, but that's not really the case. Cause when you look in it, when DS nine expanded on it, like the Cardassians are basically the Cardassians, the Klingons are basically the Klingons. The mirror universe is really just humans are the evil ones and Khan is human. So it was really interesting. I was really excited to see how they were going to be portraying him in this, in this comic. Bruce, what are your kind of first opening thoughts on this? 
Well, when I was going in, I was like, I don't know if I'm really all that excited about this one because I had a feeling it might just be Khan being Khan in a troubled universe that is negative and ruthless. And I was like, oh, it's just everybody's probably just going to be fighting one another. But I really enjoyed it because I thought Khan was portrayed like the Khan we know in the Prime Universe but the situation is different. Instead of conquering the Great Federation, he's going to conquer the Terran Empire because in both situations, his opinion is I'm bringing order to the universe and to Earth. And I thought, well, in this case, I want him to do that because I don't like the Terran Empire. I don't want him to do it with the Federation, but yes, go Khan. Yeah, it was really interesting for me to see Khan in this light and espousing things like democracy and equality for all people and that sort of thing. And I found myself as I read this, I, I was having trouble with it. Like Khan has been set up over the years so much as this character who, you know, is a dictator and it's my will and the people don't get a say. I lead them because I'm superior. And to see him, you know, wanting to bring about uh, ideas like democracy and enlightenment, you know, I kept having to remind myself because when I see Khan, I just think like, oh, bad guy. And it's funny how conditioned I was that, you know, I had a hard time getting my head there, but I really did enjoy that aspect as well. Yeah. I mean, I felt like he was though the same, like, I just feel like whatever circumstance, and that's really what the mirror universe is, whatever circumstance are characters are in they're going to react in a different way than they do from the prime universe but i feel like khan is that same person it's just oh diplomacy i'm going to go that route because this is an empire and if it was the federation then i need need to be more of a dictator but overall the goal is to create order the way i see the world should be and I feel like it, it goes probably all the way back to his creation in this world as well, because the Empire would have existed on Earth when he was created in the 20th century as well. It's just that now that Empire has spread to the cosmos as well. So I would imagine that the people that genetically engineered him and created him were opposed to the world order the empire at the time whereas in our universe the people that created him were probably out to create an empire to combat the runaway democracy and decadence they saw in the world or something like that it was interesting to see how they were portraying him because he is basically the con that we know and that we saw in space seed and in the wrath of Khan. but he did seem less angry in this one you know like i don't know like if that's the right word for it or not but he seemed less angry and i don't necessarily mean just because he lost his wife on seti alpha 5 in star trek 2 um like even in uh in space seed we had this anger where he's like why don't you guys see it my way i wanted to bring the world order you know and i i don't get that feeling from him in this comic do you guys get that yeah, definitely not. I mean, like he literally says he's out to create, and this is a quote, a democratic union of worlds and cultures where peace and compassion will, and he gets cut off, but mm -hmm. like, you know, he's all about peace and everyone coming together in harmony. Mm -hmm. And even the con of our universe who wanted control, I don't think he would ever espouse those values. I don't mm -hmm. think that would have ever been any part of his goal. 
Yeah, it makes you wonder what was going on in his corner of the world when, you know, what was it, 1994 or something like that in the in the mirror universe. Because if he if this is how he feels, then what was happening to make him feel that way back then? Because in in even Greg Cox's novels that he wrote, right, we get a really interesting backstory for Khan that that tries to tie in real world events and stuff to explain what was going on and to try and tie Space Seed into reality. Um, but, you know, there's like wars and stuff that have happened on Earth. And that's kind of what drove him that way, like the genetic mutation or the genetic um, modifications made him angrier, made him more aggressive, made him more wanting to dominate and that didn't take in this world so interesting very very fascinating mm-hmm. well, i think he comes up from a world where it most of it was destroyed and not by him mm-hmm. but by the world itself all these nations or whoever was fighting so i think that changed him too compared to what we see in the prime universe could be yeah yeah well, when we join kind of the main part of this story, we see that, you know, Khan has been awakened. Uh, there's less than a dozen of his followers have been awoken with him. So that's another change from the prime universe because there were 70 some fo- followers mm-hmm. that had survived. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe he was awoken a little later or something like that. Uh, but yeah, he's on this mission to bring about a better world, to turn the empire into a federation. And we even see like his troops are marching under the flag of what looks like the seal of the federation, uh, probably inspired by the records from the defiant or some that's, you know, kind of filling in headcanon there. But, you know, we also see that the mirror Spock has defected seemingly from the empire and is now one of Khan's closest advisors. So what do we think about Spock's role in this story as Khan's valued confidant, as he calls him and, and counselor to help lead this rebel alliance that took over a third of the empire? He says at one point, I think it's very fitting. It's tough to talk about this without jumping to the spoilers of like what happens later on. Right. But I, I totally bought, that Spock would do this based on where we saw him at the end of mirror mirror. You know, I totally bought that this would be something that he does. Okay. He's found somebody that he can latch onto that has power and leadership abilities and somebody that he can work with, uh, that has the same values as him apparently. And, but then like, the twist is what didn't work for me because I didn't buy that this Spock that we saw at the end of Mirror Mirror would be working behind the scenes with Kirk to take down Khan. I just didn't, it, that didn't work for me. That twist didn't work for me at the end. Also, because I think Khan is smarter than that. Like, the reason why Khan failed in Star Trek II is because he didn't know the technology. He wasn't familiar with it. He hadn't been exposed to it. But Khan was a military genius, and he would understand the strategy of Kirk, and he would understand the strategy of Spock. And I, I did also didn't buy that they would be able to get this one up on him that they had at the end of the story with this double cross. I don't know. So mm-hmm. it's, it's it kind of all tied into one there. That's an excellent point. I hadn't thought about the ending, how... Spock was now really against Khan and joining Kirk and going back to the Terran Empire because you're right. It makes sense that Spock would partner with Khan to take down the Empire and free the people. And mm-hmm. they've already conquered a third of it. And you would think he'd want to continue that. My only assumption then is that maybe because something that Spock says earlier when Khan questions about why Vulcans 
are support of the Terran Empire. And Spock says, well, they, they've submitted to them because it's just logical. And, but really, the only hope that you can have is to change it from within. And that was what the Vulcans were thinking is maybe they could change within, but Spock's logic dictates that that can't happen. But maybe he was just lying and knows that he has to join the empire using Khan to maybe take down some of it, but then rejoin the empire to work within to take it down. I don't know. Yeah. Like I initially had a really big problem with the ending of the comic as well. And I kind of had to sit with it for a little while and think it through. And I'm remembering the Deep Space Nine episode crossover, where we get a little bit of the fill-in of the history of the Mirror Universe up to that point. And Kira says something along the lines of Spock rose to become the leader of the Empire and began dismantling it, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So then I realized, well, this was just a major step in Spock's efforts to become the leader of the empire. So he probably becomes a hero of the empire for overthrowing Khan and returning that third of the empire back to its control. Because as he says at one point in this comic too, he does projections, right? He anticipates what's going to happen. And that might be, you know, kind of akin to uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character in Uh, the Marvel universe, that might be just the one possible way that he sees to bring peace to the galaxy is this one path kind of thing. Right. So that might, that kind of, to me justifies, maybe not justifies what he did, but justifies in Spock's mind why he did what he did. And it's interesting. He's still partnering though with Kirk, like he's still on Kirk's side because this whole Mm -hmm. plan we find out was a plan that he had with Kirk. And I wouldn't expect at this point that Spock would do that you know but mm-hmm. again he's like pulling the strings like he's taking a slow methodical way of going through and trying to take down the empire so he maybe he needs kirk and Khan, and he's playing the two mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of where my mind went as well it's it's a long chess game and he's just not ready to knock over the king that is kirk yet right mm-hmm. just you know he's getting rid of the pawns first <laughs> yeah Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned like the Benedict Cumberbatch is like, I'm guessing you're mentioning Doctor Strange, right? But then he also played Khan in Into Darkness. And, <laughs> you know, I, I also wanted to think about how they were going to portray him here, because this is kind of the con that I wanted to see in Into Darkness. You know, and when I watch Into Darkness, like I, I really enjoy Into Darkness. And personally, it's my favorite of the three Kelvin timeline movies. The last 10 minutes is a train wreck, right? But up till that point, I think the movie is really, really good. And when Spock shouts Khan is when it's just like, okay, this is just, this is just ridiculous. (laughs) But um, up until Khan is a bad guy in that movie, I I think it's really fascinating. Like, like seeing him as possibly being a good guy in this universe is a really extremely fascinating angle to take and that's kind of what they did in this comic so this is kind of the con that i wish we could have seen in into darkness that's an interesting point yeah i i I do like that we get an alternate take on con in this comic and i do find myself kind of lamenting a little bit what the what into darkness con could have been that's a really interesting point yeah Mm -hmm. But like, what do you guys think about what I said there? Do you think like, did you guys have trouble with Spock and Kirk pulling the wool over Khan's eyes? Like, I I don't know. Like to me, Khan is a smarter person than that. You know, I didn't have a problem with it. 
I, only because I always think Spock's smarter than anyone. Okay. That's a good point. I, I did, I was a little frustrated. He seemed so easily duped. I kind mm-hmm. of thought he'd be a little smarter than that, or, you know, that especially how much he trusted Kirk and that almost distracted me from Spock being a betrayer as well was the fact that Khan seemed to so easily trust Kirk mm-hmm. and then Kirk betrayed him. And I'm like, well, of course he did. And then Spock betrays him. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> so, you know, I almost feel like the Spock betrayal is kind of justified, but like the Kirk betrayal, he should definitely have seen coming. Well, maybe because this Khan isn't quite as smart when he's soft, but you know, when he's ruthless, the Khan smartness is on top of itself. Like it's mm-hmm. in its that prime. Makes, that makes me really sad. Like, what are they <laughs> saying then? You know, if you're, if you're nice and compassionate, you're dumb. <laughs> Yeah, if you're ruthless and evil, then you're smart. Oh, that makes me sad. (laughs) No, but it it didn't really bother me. But I also knew like I was coming to the end of the comic. So I knew something had to happen soon. So I mean, maybe if they had more time, they would have come up with something a little more clever. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Well, we get an interesting scene partway through where Khan tries to mind meld with Kirk. And uh, he talks about how Spock has been tutoring him on Vulcan mind meld techniques, which, you know, had some echoes of of something from Star Trek Picard, which I was like, that's interesting. Uh, but he's unable to because he hasn't mastered the technique, but leaves Spock to mind meld with Kirk. Uh, so this particular scene, we get kind of a glimpse, supposedly, into Kirk's childhood and kind of what made him who he is. What did you guys think of this scene and, you know, Kirk's portrayal as this child who grew up in a home of what the Empire would call subversives, right? They have books that, you know, were banned and they have love and compassion and they don't seem to follow the tenets of the Empire. I thought it was interesting that they were living in poverty and uh, just, you know, the books and the, I don't know, it was just. To me, it was showing, yeah, this is a different universe because that's not quite how we've seen Kirk's childhood. And just because they were poor, uh, does that shape Kirk to the man that we see today? I don't think it's because of that. I think it's because of the troops that came in and took him away and burned their house down. But then, well, that comes later. But is this the true story of Kirk's past or not? Right. See, I think we're supposed to believe that it is because in the memory, like Spock's sitting there saying, no, these were real memories, not fake ones, because Spock had to do the mind meld. And at the end, the final shot we see is Kirk looking at the book that his mom was reading to him in one of these memories. So I think that we're supposed to go with that's the backstory for him in the mirror universe. But to me, that kind of thing and that kind of love and compassion and whatnot would not breed the Kirk that we see in Mirror Mirror. Mm-hmm. He would not want to serve that empire. He would want to fight against it. And that's not who we get. Do you think it's maybe true what they said that the empire just, you know, brainwashed him and beat it out of him and you know, uh, it could be the but perfect soldier. It, it could be, but those memories are still there and he still has the book. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so what really threw me too. He's going back to the book that clearly is a fond memory for him. You know, he's got the book hidden in his drawer, right? So, I, like, I don't know. Based on him having that book and looking at it fondly in the final frame, 
no, I don't think that they did brainwash him and beat it out of him. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of at odds with what we saw in Mirror Mirror on that. Well, I think we're at odds with all these characters, it sounds like. I mean, it's like we're not really sure what we make out of Khan and now Kirk and who is really Kirk and who is really Spock. I mean, they're all kind of performing in directions we don't expect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That don't always quite make sense, maybe. Do you think that was kind of like an interesting, deeper choice by the writers? Or do you think it's much more surface that it's like they're trying to engineer gotcha moments for the readers based on their expectations of these characters? Like, do you, do you think there's kind of a deeper reasoning behind that? Or is it just for the aha moments that you get reading the comic? I think it's more for the aha, gotcha, something different kind of moment. And and that's like, I, I love the comics. I really do love what IDW has done with their comics. And I really eagerly look forward to reading a book. Whether I like the stories or not, I end up enjoying them. Like I go back to the recent, the Q conflict one or whatever it was, the sixth one where Janeway was working with Worf or whatever it was. Like they were, they had all those different aliens and I'm like, this comic series is a mess, but it's fun. (laughs) It's fun to read. Like they're just throwing everything at us just for the sake of throwing stuff at us. But it's also just a comic, you know, but then I go back to the original five year run of the comics for IDW um, with the the Kelvin timeline. And those comics made me appreciate the Kelvin timeline movies. You know, and I discovered those comics by listening to literary treks and listening to you guys talk about those comics made me want to read those comics because I had no interest in reading those comics. But I'm like listening to you guys. I'm like, these are these actually sound pretty neat. I'm going to give them a try. So I started reading them and I'm like, these are really good. So they've they've done some really good stuff and they can do some really good stuff. But for me lately with IDW, they seem a little bit lost with what they want to do with their Star Trek line of comics. It seems like it's just we want to do something to get a reference for people to catch something out of another episode. Right. And that's what the last couple ones have been for me, you know, a really fresh take of what's going on. And I'm sorry that I'm rambling here guys on this kind of going all over, but, but like year five is, is really fresh and I'm really, really enjoying it. And I think it's the best run of Star Trek comics since those original Kelvin timeline comics. However, they are literally trying to throw every single reference from three years of Star Trek as possible into this run of series. And it's like, I find that a little bit frustrating as much as I'm enjoying these comics, you know, I, I kind of wish they wouldn't throw this much stuff in there. No, I agree with you on that. I think, I don't even know if I ever made that comment before, but I know I've thought it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I do feel like that's a problem with a lot of Star Trek comics and some novels sometimes, but, you know, just referencing too much on the TV shows, you know, it's like, we don't need that. Every Star Trek story has to tie into something we've seen on screen. It can be totally original, different aliens, Mm -hmm. different villain, different planet, everything. It doesn't always have to tie back. I agree with you on that. In this case, with this comic, I like you, Brandon, I thought, I think it's more for those gotcha moments in here, but at the same time, I think that they're trying to make, us look at these characters in a different light like mm-hmm. trying to make it maybe a little more complex bring some more complexity to the characters because i wouldn't think of kirk's childhood in the mirror universe as being like this and i wouldn't expect him to be reading the book 
It's like, it is a question of, well, is he loyal to the empire or not? I'm not sure where everybody's loyalties lie in this. So maybe it's just the idea of making you look at these characters in a different light, which I kind of like. Yeah. I'm kind of of the mind that it's a bit of a mix of the two, but with a leaning a little bit more towards the trying to engineer those aha gotcha moments. But I'm also reading this and not minding that. Like right. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. thoroughly entertained by this Yes, and uh, you know, some of the decisions feel like it was like at the last minute, like, Ooh, let's have the character do this. That'll be surprising. And um, that's okay. Like I, it's entertaining and maybe the right choice dramatically. I don't know. But uh, you know, we talked a little, little bit about the book that uh, Kirk has at the end. So, you know, speaking of books, there's, hundreds of them, thousands of them that have been forbidden under the rule of the empire. And Khan has what he calls this secret weapon called Satori. And Bruce, I see from the notes here, you also looked up, you Googled what that was. And uh, yeah, Wikipedia says that it's a Japanese Buddhist term for awakening comprehension and understanding, which I thought was an interesting uh, choice. I looked it up fairly early while I was reading it to see if there was any kind of hint and I thought maybe it was some sort of uh, something that would create an awakening throughout the empire. And indeed, that's what it seems to be. It's kind of this massive library that's been slowly assembled from dissidents and defectors who have these in their private collections uh, that Khan intends to release across the empire. And uh, it takes a lot for him to let Kirk and Spock in on this. Uh, And as soon as he does, this triggers the betrayal that we've been talking about. Uh, but I want to talk about that idea. And you've got this question in the notes here that I like, do you like the idea that a library of books is the ultimate weapon? And, you know, just as a bibliophile myself, I I thought that idea just really made me happy. (laughs) I like it because it just shows that in this world, people are told what to think and they don't necessarily have much knowledge outside of what they're told Because it's mentioned early in the story that on Earth, books and other information has been banned. Art, literature, poetry, philosophy. And he says the free and open exchange of ideas, those have all been banned. And it's knowledge and free thinking and exploring, and that's what Star Trek's about, exploring new worlds and new civilizations to the point that, you know, we, I feel when we explore things and we open our minds and and bring in knowledge, we are more grounded, I think. And I think we see the more possibility of being better people when you have a greater understanding of how things work. And if that's suppressed, then everybody would be running around just angry and maybe attacking one another. And I love the idea that old fashioned books, if you gave those out to everyone and everyone read them, and have that knowledge of free thinking, they would see that what they're doing is wrong. I love it. Yeah. Um, I, I had, I definitely had, you know, flashbacks to reading Fahrenheit 451 and that sort of thing when I was reading this part. I mean, it's an old idea. It's, it's, it's one that's been used many times, but the idea that that suppression of knowledge, you know, if you could just get someone to read a little bit, of some of that knowledge and have that spread. And Khan says like a virus throughout the empire that, you know, it could inspire people to throw off these, uh, 
the shackles that have been imposed on them. So I, I, I really liked that. I thought that was interesting. And I kept looking for the scanner because they're not going to physically hand out these books to everybody. They have to scan them, right? And then send them out to everybody electronically. <laughs> well, I PDM. think, yeah, Khan said that they had all been digitized and that the actual weapon was that the entire database would be sent to every computer screen and every reader throughout the empire and immediately and free to open and open to everyone. So everyone would immediately have access to that knowledge. It, it wasn't just the physical books. That was the uh, precursor to what they had planned. So I'm not sure how I feel about this as the climax of this. I know that in my youth, I would have loved this. I would have thought this is great. What a great way to, you know, have an idea be the weapon that brings down an empire. But like the older I get, the more pessimistic I get. And like, I mean, in the times that we're in right now, I mean, we've got flat earthers. We've got, you know, climate change denier. Like we've got all the books out there right now and we still can't pass laws to, you know, deal with deforestation and and things like this. Like we we're still arguing do masks work to prevent covid. We you know, like things like this that are I I just I don't know that that's the that would be the case anymore that that would be the weapon to bring down an empire. I just I don't have the faith in humanity anymore no matter what universe it is to believe anymore that an idea can bring down an empire. I don't know, maybe I'm just pessimistic in my old age, but I've just I've just seen too many stupid people and there's books everywhere and they just don't want to read them. So it doesn't matter if the books are available or not. You know, I don't know. I really 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 wish I could come up with a great argument against that, but uh, I've I've been feeling similarly in the past couple of years. So I I yeah. feel the same, and I just went on a tirade about it this morning of all things. And it doesn't happen all that often when I do that. But I will say, and I still firmly believe that there's more good people out there doing the right things. It's just we focus so much on the bad, and they're sometimes the loudest. And so I like to believe that if something like this happened, that the majority of people would be inspired and read these books and want to change society. And then there would be those few left that just refuse to do it. And it could be that this population would be so starved for something like that, that, you know, it might be, you know, what's the line from the, the sequel trilogy, the, the spark that lights the fire of rebellion or, or whatever, right? right. Like it, it could very well be. The conditions in this universe at this time might be such that that would be something that would sweep across the galaxy. But, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I've gotten pessimistic lately, too, Brandon. So, I'm, well, may, maybe yeah. all they need in this mirror universe is they just need copies of the sequel trilogy. And like that might be enough to spark a rebellion. <laughs> Could be. Could be. But the thing about think, Star Trek isn't how realistic it is, but what the message is. And I think mm -hmm. that's the thing yes. we need to focus on. Yeah, that is fair. And, and, and like I said, true. in my youth, yeah. I would have eaten that message up because, you know, like, I believe that knowledge is power. And I, I, I used to believe that. I don't know if I do anymore. So I don't know. But yeah. And I think ultimately that message is a really good one. And, you know, one that maybe in our cynical old age, we do need to keep being reminded of, uh, because, you know, I, I've gotten into it just in the last couple of days with, you know, uh, some, 
uh, people who took offense to my uh, posting a thank you to a local grocery store for enacting a masks rule or something. And uh, I ended up getting like personal threats sent to me via direct message over Facebook to me and my family over it. And yeah, that's enough to dishearten anybody. But I think to remember that it's a very vocal minority I pray and hope anyway, uh, is, is kind of something that I need to keep reminding myself and, and, but it's, it's not even that taking to heart. These lessons is what's needed as well. It's not even that it's not even the vocal minority. It's like these books even now are available to the majority and we still cannot enact things like gun laws and stuff like this, like that are, that are affecting people. And I mean, it's not, it has nothing to do with the vocal minority. It has everything to do with what can get done. You know, so I don't know, but we're getting political. We're getting pretty political on this one here. So. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just add to that. I, I, yeah, because I can't get every Star Trek fan to read a Star Trek novel. So, yeah, <laughs> you got a good point. So, but we we read them and we love them and we know the value of Kirsten Beyer and David R. George and Una McCormick and David Mack and Dayton Ward and Kevin Delmore. And we know the value of these people and we know what they bring. Absolutely. Definitely. I, I couldn't end that on a better <laughs> note myself. <laughs> so uh, we have in the notes here as well, uh, kind of our final thoughts about the uh, this final scene where Spock kills Khan and reveals that he's been working with Kirk. Uh, and then we get this this final bit where he questions the authenticity of his mind meld with Kirk, because supposedly these were fake memories implanted and not real. But Spock seems to think that they are actually real memories. And we mentioned this, we touched on this briefly earlier, but uh, where do we kind of fall on that? Are these his actual memories or, or you know, is was the cover story correct? Can I tell you what I was thinking of when I was reading that scene? Like, this is a deep cut. I was mm-hmm. thinking of the comic book adaptation of The Ashes of Eden. There's a scene that shows Kirk in his youth with his brother, and they show, like, some tunnels that went from the house to the barn or whatever, and they had drawn, like, Romulans on the wall. They had, like, drawn this graffiti on the walls and stuff like this. And... I, like so I believe that these are actual memories and I tied it into these memories of his youth from the Ashes of Eden comic book adaptation. So Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I like that. That's the definition that's of deep cut. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I do think these are the actual memories. Because if they weren't, I don't think this scene would even be in. I don't it. think you'd have the book if yeah. it wasn't, right? So Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Kirk's reaction kind of says it all where he just, you know, says to Spock to drop it and, you know, whatever. And then as we've said, your half breed interference, Mr. Spock. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then uh, of course, as we said, he has the book at the end, right? The once in future king that his mother had read to him in those memories. So uh, I guess uh, going around now, final thoughts regarding this comic and maybe a rating of some sort. Uh, let's start with uh, Brandon. So I, as much as I'm picking it apart and pointing things here, I, this was still a lot of fun and I definitely recommend it. And I mean, we're getting this nitpicky and this deep because we're, it's a podcast and we got to talk about it. But honestly, I enjoyed it. Um, I want to give a special call out to the author of the book. So J.M. Dematius, like I was reading Khan's monologue 
in Ricardo Montalban's voice. I think that uh, this yes. person really captured um, the the dialogue that Khan uses. Uh, it was really, really wonderful. Again, I like seeing this more positive con because it's something different. Um, so there is a lot of really fun stuff in this. You know, we, we didn't talk about one scene, but I mean, I was taken by surprise when they blew up the ISS Enterprise. I did not see that coming, you know, so like there's a lot of really fun things in here. And I, I'd give this a four out of five um, humans suddenly learning how to mind meld. Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree with Brandon, and especially about the Enterprise being blown up and Kirk leaving to join Khan and Spock. I was surprised Kirk would do that, but I like Kirk's answer. It was like, well, you know, he always wants to join the winning side, mm-hmm. and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I was surprised that Sulu changed from a red tunic to a gold tunic in the Mirror Universe. I noticed that in here. But I just say that the person coloring it just didn't know or didn't think about it. But no, I, it was fun. I enjoyed it a lot. I would also give it, you know, let's see, four out of five stabs and cons back. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm right on the same level with you guys. I think that whole scene uh, where Kirk kills everybody on the bridge that was really surprising to me and then of course like you said the destruction of the enterprise just beautiful uh this was really really well written and i'm right there with you brandon the voices came through perfectly spock i think at this point you know it's pretty hard for a writer not to get spock's voice correct but you know someone with you know as as subtle as Khan to have that space seed version of him that voice just come through so perfectly, I think really shows attention to detail and really caring about what you're writing and really putting the work in to make this come out. Right. So absolutely agree with that. Shout out. One thing I wanted to add is I I don't think this was any longer, like this is a one shot. And I was actually surprised when I found out it was just a one shot. I was expecting a three or four issue miniseries because that's kind of the way that IDW is doing things. But, um, I don't think this was any longer than your standard 22 to 24 page comic book, but this was a long comic because there was a lot of text and a lot of comics nowadays don't have a lot of text. It's a lot of pictures and they go by very quick. So it was fun to be able to spend some time with this and it took longer to read this. And it, I think that was part of the reason why I appreciated it more as well, because those ones, when you're just looking at pictures, you just, and there's not a lot of story to it. You just go by and you're like, Oh, those are some pretty pictures. But there wasn't a lot of substance. And this one had a lot of substance to it. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And uh, yeah, I'll just wrap up my thoughts to say I give it uh, four out of five contraband books. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Brandon, so much for joining us for this uh, special book club episode. And where can people find you and what are you working on now uh, in this uh, wide world of Star Trek podcasts? Oh, well, first, thanks, guys, for having me on. I mean, I wanted to be on. There was one of your last literary treks. I wanted to be on with you guys for seven to nine because I'd been dying to read that book. And my work schedule at the time, I just had no time to read. My my life was so busy, so I missed out. I didn't get on literary treks one more time, so I was very disappointed about that. Literary treks with you you guys was a reason I discovered Trek FM. And, you know, I love the books. I love the comics. And it they will always be a part of my fandom. So thanks for having me on here for one of your early episodes of your book clubs here on positive, positively Trek. 
Beck. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. Um, I've currently got four podcasts running. Um, I have got a short run series on the Nerd Party Network called House of Fincher. Uh, John Mills and Tristan Riddell and myself go over David Fincher's films in chronological order uh, leading up to the release of Mank on Netflix. Uh, you can find me on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom. We have a Hitchcock podcast, uh, which I've been doing for a few years now. Once a month, we watch a Hitchcock film in chronological order. And then on my own network, the United Federation of Podcasts, I've got two shows. Uh, I've got a show called Franchise Fatigue with Zach Moore. That's all about movies, remakes, and sequels. And we're smack dab in the middle of our Planet of the Apes uh, movie retrospective. And Infinite Diversity, a Star Trek podcast that I host with Justin Ozer and Chrissy DeClerc Zalagi. And over there right now, we're talking Lower Decks, but it's about basically all new Star Trek. I mean, we're hoping to hit a few books uh, in, in there and whatnot. We weren't expecting there to be 23 straight weeks of Star Trek, but <laughs> we weren't expecting to do a weekly show. But then right when we announced it, Lower Decks was announced and Discovery's season four, uh, three is was announced right after it. So we got a lot of new Star Trek to talk about. So I'm, I'm pretty busy, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a fun time to be a podcaster and there's lots going on. Excellent. My uh, my hypothesis is CBS was just waiting for you to announce nice. uh, when the podcast was coming so that they could then go ahead with their uh, 23 weeks of Star Trek. <laughs> nice. I don't <laughs> buy that for a second because I ripped apart those last two episodes of Star Trek Picard season one. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Bruce, uh, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. I'm on s- also on Instagram at Admiral Rex, no underscore there. And I've uh, been occasionally still popping up every once in a while on the Star Wars report. And Dan, what about you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and the best way to do that is in our discussion group the positively trek discussion group on facebook so search for that and we'll let you write in and uh yeah let's talk about star trek books comics and everything else in the star trek universe well thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode and until then stay positive Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.